Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Bring spring color inside this season with Bear Premium Plus paint, starting at just $28.98 a gallon at The Home Depot. Add a pop of blue to your kitchen with the bare exclusive color Arrowhead Lake or a splash of Amazon jungle to your living room. Bring a cool breeze to your bathroom with sea glass or accent your bedroom with sunrise-inspired colors like coral cloud and dark crimson. Let your creativity bloom this spring with bare premium plus paint starting at just $28.98 a gallon at The Home Depot. How doers get more done. Hi, it's Gabby Reese, and this podcast is powered by Laird Superfood. It was created in our kitchen by my husband, big wave surfer Laird Hamilton, and it all started with a simple idea. What began as Laird's secret for long-lasting energy on the waves is now Laird Superfood, offering a full range of delicious plant-based creamers, coffee, greens, and more. Visit LairdSuperfood.com and use the code GABBY2024 and save 20% on your first order. Go behind the wheel, under the hood, and beyond with Car Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com. Hi, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Scott. And I am Ben. We are here with Noel, uh, the mover, uh, Brown. That was not the most creative nickname. The mover and shaker. Maybe Mover and Shaker. Yeah, Noel the Mover and Shaker Brown, as always, our super producer. Most importantly, ladies and gentlemen, you are here, which makes this car stuff. That's right. And uh, I think we got a little bit of a disclaimer that we'd like to read before we begin this entire thing, right? Yeah, that's a really good point. So uh, regular listeners, as you know, uh, Scott and I recently did a three-part podcast on highway safety films, which we thought would be an interesting bit of history, but turned out to be much, much darker than we had originally imagined. Absolutely. And you know what? There's a new twist on that, too, by the way. And I, we didn't even talk about this before we came in here, but right. uh, someone who sits immediately next to me in the office mm-hmm. knows the director or the yeah the director of that, uh, that documentary that we were talking about, yeah. the entire thing, the Hell's Highway documentary. She's personal friends with that guy. And I believe we may be trying to uh, arrange maybe an interview. I don't know if it's sure. going to be video, if it's going to be audio, what it's going to be. But we can get uh, we get some even more inside info from that guy if we want. Yeah, and that's st- so we're still not done with that story, and we love to speak with this guy. And we uh, we hope that we get a chance to connect you with him so you can hear uh, more of the behind the scenes. Uh, but after we did this thing, and and after we learned some very disturbing things about uh, the history of highway safety films, uh, you and I, Scott, had decided, well, let's do something a little bit lighter. Let's do something more like a just a normal, regular car stuff episode. Yeah, something not so uh, on the edge, I guess. Right, right. And so uh, we we chose U-Haul, and we thought, well, that's good. That's interesting. A lot of people use U-Haul. It's a gigantic company, like $4 billion or something. Yeah, huge, huge. It's, uh, it's an enormous... Uh, North American company all over uh, the United States, Amer- um, Canada. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if they were down in New Mexico or not, but uh, it's a big place. 16,000 locations. Yeah. It's huge. And and 
what what could be so bad about the story of U-Haul Ben? What could what could <laughs> right. what could throw a wrench in that plan? We thought it would be safe. We thought it would be fun. Um, we were wrong. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, this story is going to take some uh, twists and turns as well, and we didn't expect it at all. We really thought we were just going to be doing a, a podcast on a, uh, a truck rental, trailer rental, mm-hmm. uh, propane selling type place. Right. Not the case. Right. So it may sound like uh, it may sound like something that initially isn't that uh, fascinating. But stick with us, guys, because it's going to get weird. Yeah, and you know what? Here, this is the thing. It didn't even come from our minds. We said, no. well, let me choose this from a list that a listener has sent in. Because mm-hmm. we, we often go to our email and we say, well, you know, we're looking for some topics for next mm-hmm. week's show. What are we going to do? And uh, I kind of combed through the emails and, you know, the the, uh, the infamous list that I put things on now, the ever-growing yes. potential podcast list that we really do have. And uh, I found one here. It was from April of this year, and it was a guy uh, by the name of Austin Z. And Austin wrote in and said, uh, my name is Austin. I'm a 22-year-old chemistry student at the University of uh, Missouri in Columbia, Missouri. I spend a lot of time in the lab, and I listen to your podcast while I'm in there working. Uh, it's a great show, by the way. Um, I'm definitely a fan of the all cars, and the wide variety that your show covers is really interesting to me. I myself have owned six different vehicles, and he listed his vehicles. Uh-huh. Um, one of those is a Mazda Miata, I should say. Mm-hmm. Lowered. Uh, lowered, that's right. And he says, my dad um, exposed me to many vehicles as well and, and how to work on them, mainly on his 1978 Fiat 124 Spider. Uh, the kind, I've, I've kind of had a laundry list accumulating in my mind of things I've found interesting and other possible show ideas. So he lists, um, I think he lists seven ideas here. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, just... Quickly going through them, it's like uh, mile marker signs, bridges, construction vehicles, roadsters. Of course, roadsters because of his Miata sure. and that and that Fiat. Yeah. Um, new tire technology was one. Driving with a trailer was one, which kind of ties in with today's, by the way. Mm-hmm. Um, and the last one here, this is the one that we went with, believe it or not. Um, rental companies such as Enterprise or U-Haul. And then he writes uh, right after that, he says. There's probably not much to say about that, but I think it's interesting how there aren't dealers, how they aren't dealers, but they've grown empires on short-term vehicle leases. And to that, uh, to that comment, um, when he says uh, there's not really much to say about that, oh man, there is a lot to say about this, about about U-Haul in specific, because I dove into U-Haul and Mm -hmm. Ben did as well. Mm -hmm. And we started researching not just the company, because that was the initial goal here. We, we we started looking at like well what what services do the, services do they provide right you know what do they do now that they did different from the very beginning like back when they started I knew what it was an old stats well I knew it was an old company yeah you know, it's been around for for decades and decades and we'll talk about all this stuff as well but then I found an article titled the U-Haul tragedy mm-hmm. and it's not a U-Haul tragedy about like it's not a story about one person who had a bad yeah. weekend with a truck or an accident or something. no nothing yeah. like that this is this is about the family that started the U-Haul industry, the company, mm-hmm. and and what happened to them, the uh, the fate that befell this this family, um, it, it's really a great a great tale, and we'll get to uh, you know the uh, the founder of the company, the uh, uh, I guess the uh, the patri the yeah the uh, patriarch of the patriarch, family, yeah, and uh, and what happened there, um, some of the uh, some of the stuff that he's dealing with with his kids mm-hmm. and the business, and it, it gets really complex and it gets really uh, really. Uh, Difficult to listen to at times, really. I mean, I would, I would take, I would think. Right. Um, I don't, maybe that's not the right way to say it, but. Well, it, it becomes, uh, it is surprisingly, uh, violent and contentious. It is, it's, 
a power struggle, really. It's a Game of Thrones kind of thing. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, I think you'd find this at some level in, uh, in most families that have, have grown an in industry up to a $4 billion business. Right. Like, uh, the DuPont family is a great example because some, some, uh, members of that family, you know, are pretty much American aristocrats. And I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna tell you the, stuff about all, all the ins and outs of the DuPont family, but you're a Google search away from learning some really disturbing stuff. Uh, yeah, the, this, this family, however, the U-Haul family, as you said, Scott, it all goes back to one guy who began this dynasty, this empire, a fellow named Leonard Samuel Schoen, born in 1916. Yeah, 1916, and it wasn't until about 1945 that, uh, that he actually founded this company, this, uh, this U-Haul company. And, um, he grew up, of course, he, you know, you can imagine, uh, growing mm-hmm. up during the Great Depression. In the farm uh, belt. In the farm belt, that's right. In fact, he was, uh, he, this isn't like the first thing that he tried either. No. Um, he was, <laughs> he was kicked out of, uh, out of med school for giving answers to other students, apparently. That's, I think, his story. I don't know if that's really true or not. Right. Uh, but he did have a pre-med degree that he received in 1943. Mm-hmm. Um, he has naval, uh, naval service in his background, so he's a Navy man. Um, he, st- but he, I think he served in a hospital in Seattle. Of course, that goes along with his pre-med degree, right? Right. Um, he was discharged in 1945, however, for uh, rheumatic fever. Yeah. He, uh, he also, along the way, one of the businesses he started when he was getting his pre-med degree was he ran a chain of beauty parlors and barber shops. Hmm. And then, uh, when he, when he was discharged for rheumatic fever, um, this is, this is the story I heard. So his wife, a lady named Anna Mary Cardi, uh, she and he were moving and they were, they needed to rent a truck mm-hmm. and they couldn't, they couldn't get a truck. There was not one, it wasn't a matter of the money. It was a matter of availability. Was it because they were moving from one place to another, yes. another city? Far away. Yeah. yeah a city far away or a state far away, uh-huh. I believe. And, uh, that's the problem is that in 1945, when this was happening, you couldn't really rent a uh, truck or trailer in one state and take it to another state. You'd have to bring it back. Right. So you would have to, you would have to somehow figure out how to get it back, which would probably mean either taking a car to follow along with you to, to ride drogue and then, uh, have that car follow you back to the place with the truck. So you had to ride back or, Maybe you could take a train or something. I don't know. Maybe you could hire somebody in your destination city to drive it back there this for you. This is all very problematic, isn't yeah. it? I mean, it really was because, I mean, this is this predates the, the time of one-way rentals. And that's really mm-hmm. what we're getting at here is that mm-hmm. he found a way to, um, you know, he said, well, there's a problem here. There's something we gotta we got to fix. Um, I could make a fortune if we did it this way. And and we'll talk about the, uh, the strategies that they used in just a minute. Yeah. But I also want to mention just – Briefly before we go on, he also received a law degree from uh, Northwestern College of Law in Portland, Oregon mm-hmm. in 1955. So this guy, he's he's got a lot of education background. He's smart. He's a smart cookie, this guy. He really is. And and so back to 1945, which is 10 years prior to this uh, this law degree, but just after he got out of the service, right. he's realizing, he's seeing that uh, a lot of the veterans that are returning from World War II mm-hmm. need to move. There's a, there's a, it's a mobile society at this point. You know, people sure. are, people are wanting to, uh, to move to the big cities. They're wanting to move out of the country. They're wanting to move into, uh, the suburbs. They're they wanting to get that perfect house. Yeah. They want to move to the, to the shoreline. They want to yeah. move inland. Uh, you know, it's just, yeah. they're moving all over the place. And the, the problem was, as we said, you couldn't rent a truck without having to bring that same stupid truck back to the wherever you, you rented it from. Right. So that's really good for local moves, no problem. But 
once you want to go from, uh, say you want to move from New York to California, mm-hmm. what do you do? And how do, how do you handle that? And as you said, Ben, it becomes a very difficult situation to deal with. So at this time, 45, uh, Leonard Schoen is 29 years old. He's only 29 years old. Uh, and he and his wife are living in a town called Ridgefield, uh, and just north of Vancouver. And, uh, this this company gets started. They start U-Haul. This is when they found it that year. And the initial investment is five grand. Five thousand dollars. And the idea is that they're going to build trailers. They're mm-hmm. going to build. They start out with uh, no trucks, really. Yeah. Just trailers. It's a trailer service, you know, rental service. And what they're going to do is they're going to, um, I guess you could say employ. I don't know if that's the right way to say it, but they're going to co-op with um gas station owners right. in different states. And they'll say, well, we'll we will split the rental cost of this uh, this trailer with you if you agree to let them drop it off and have somebody else pick it up from your, your gas station. Right, and he made them agents of U-Haul. They would be rental agents. Yeah, and this whole thing started out in his wife's, uh, his wife's family owned a garage. And when they say garage, I mean like a mechanic shop. Right. Like a machine shop or something like that. Uh, so he was able to fabricate these trailers there, um, you know, building them as many as he can for $5,000 initially, and then just keep building them based on how much money he was bringing in from the rental mm-hmm. of that initial five grand investment. And I think it was so smart of him, Ben, to, to decide to go with gas station right. uh, renter, or, um, owners rather as uh, these partners, because when you look at any town, I mean, any, any place you look in a, in a busy city, there's a gas station on every corner. Oh I mean, yeah. You've got it. You've got the opportunity for, um, you know, uh, you know, maybe 100 different dealers, mm. but you only need a couple, really. You only needed one in each big city, really. And another thing to consider about gas stations, not just big cities, but they're the most likely thing for you to find in any town. Yeah. Anywhere, right? Churches, yeah. gas stations. And think about this. Okay, so it's 1945, and, you know, he all he really has to do is just get, and this is brand new, and it's a great, it's a great service, and people right. will buy into this no matter what. So, all he has to really do is get one location in each state going. That's that's really all he needs. That would be the goal, I guess. I know he wanted more, probably. Mm-hmm. Um, but but that would be the goal is so that, you know, once you do move to, uh, let's say, here in Georgia, you move down to uh, Valdosta, which is like the very southern end of Georgia. Um, but let's say that the gas station that's the partner is here in Atlanta. Yeah. It's, it's going to be, you know, five or six hours to drive one way. But you know what? That sure does beat having to return it to the state that you rented it from. Mm-hmm. So, so people wouldn't really mind like, okay, it's going to take me another day, mm-hmm. um, you know, half day there and half day back to return this trailer. But it's so worth it because I was able to move myself and save the expense of having a moving company take me and my family and all of our stuff across the country. Yeah. And they did something that's very smart and it's difficult for a lot of families to do, which is that the Schoen family, the, the wife and the husband worked, uh, more than 15 hours a day, uh, and they put all of the profits back into the company. These are very frugal, thrifty people. And somehow along the way, they had like six kids. Yeah, not just six, though. Oh, wait, with uh, oh. with Anna Mary Cardi. Okay, okay, that's. I'm glad you yeah. uh, put an asterisk on that because uh, here's the here's the scoop on on Leonard and his his wives and his children because I think this is fascinating. He ended up being married five times over, mm. over, you know, until he passed away. We'll talk about that too. But, um, his first wife, unfortunately, Anna Cardi, she, she passed away. Um, he divorced three wives after that. And then he was married to number five when he passed away. Her name is Carol Schoen. Mm-hmm. And along the way, as you said, Ben, he had six children with his first wife. 
He had five children with his second wife. He had one child with his third wife. And then um, he had one adopted child, I believe, with his fifth wife. So the fourth wife, there was no no children involved or no extra children involved. Mm-hmm. A total, if you count the uh, if you count the adopted child, that means 13. He had 12 birth children, one adopted. So wow. 13 children in all that this guy had over his uh, over his life with five wives. And prolific, not just with uh, – if you think he's prolific with the kids, <laughs> you should see – uh, you should see his uh, output with trucks oh, because – do you want to Look take at it? No, no, that's funny. That's a funny segue. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, it's true though. By 1955, just 10 years later, this is one of the most fascinating things. They went from zero to what, 10,000 yeah, 10, trailers? 10,000 U-Haul trailers were on the road on the roads. As of 1955, and that's just 10 years. So that's the same year that he's getting his law degree, by the way. Uh huh. This is a busy guy. I mean, he's really putting everything he's got into this business, into this industry, into making this whole thing work. And, uh, you know, of course, his wife was right there at his side the whole time, you know, um, um, Anna Cardi, the first, the first right. wife. Um, busy with the six kids, I'm sure. Oh. But, uh, but man, they were really putting everything they had back into the business because he knew that, you know, 10,000 trailers is just the start of this whole thing. It's, it's, you know, I don't know how many, uh, retail locations they had, or not retail, but um, how many partners they had at that point. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it did eventually grow. Um, as I said, you know, once we get to, I think, modern day, like right now, there's something like 16,000 um, outlets that you can return U-Haul right. equipment to. Not trailers, can, outlets. Outlets, yeah, like where you can, uh, and I think that's the right term. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's, you know, a place in the corner where you can pick up and return U-Haul trailers. It's not always a U-Haul location. Sometimes mm-hmm. it's a gas station, as it was in the beginning. And the uh, the business was based in Portland uh, until uh, a little bit more than 10 years after that. They moved to Phoenix, I believe. Phoenix, Arizona. Yeah, that's right. So it started, I mean, it was actually founded in Ridgefield, Washington, as you mentioned before, uh, when he was 29. And you said it moved to Portland, then to Phoenix. And that's where it is right now. It's still in Phoenix because this company is still around and it's still run by the Schoen family. Mm-hmm. Um, the the, uh, the the founder, of course, was Leonard Schoen. The, the chairman and CEO is a guy named uh, Joe Schoen. Um, he's also, and there's also um, uh, vice president. His name is Mark Schoen. Uh, so, you know, the Mark and, Mark and Joe are kind of at the top still. And I think they believe, I believe they own 40% of the company at this point. And this company has been, as we said, has been around since, uh, since 1945. So it's an older company. Um, it, it is again valued at four, something like $4.02 billion. And that was in yeah. 2006. It may have gone up, may have gone down a little bit, but hmm. it's a ballpark of where we're, we're talking. It's a huge, huge industry. Uh, the founder, Leonard Schoen, of course, mm-hmm. there's the, um, there's the chairman and CEO, which his name is Joe Schoen, and then the vice president, who is Mark Schoen. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's just two of the, uh, 13 children yeah. that he had. Yeah. Two of his kids, uh, they launched a takeover of the business in 86. Uh, here's where it gets interesting. Uh-huh. I guess it. I mean, maybe, maybe it's already been interesting to, to this point, you know, the, the development of the company and everything, but this is where it takes a decided twist because, uh, those two, Joe and Mark, mm-hmm. launch a takeover of their father's company in, what do you say, 1986? Yes, sir. And I, I think that the way this all plays out is that there's an older son, and what was his name? Was it Sam? Sam, Sam Schoen. Now, you would think that Sam Schoen, being the oldest son, would be the one who, and it, the oldest child of all. You know, he's not just the oldest oldest male. Um, he's the oldest child. I think he was being groomed by his dad to take over the company. Yeah, yeah. I think that's kind of the, uh, the, the story. That was sort that of the idea. Here, yeah. 
But also, um, okay, so we're getting to the part where the, the crazy stuff we mentioned earlier is going to happen. I just want to give a few statistics before we get into it. Sure. Is that cool? Yeah. All right. So, so why is this company such a big deal? Well, they've got a built-in market. One in five people move each year. According to U-Haul themselves, the average person moves 11 times in their life. You're saying that 20% of people move, all people, or here in the United States or North America, move every year? Uh, yeah, apparently no 20%. Kidding. That's a, that's yeah. a huge number. I think I, you know, I think this might be a little bit optimistic for U-Haul's business, yeah. but anyway, as you know, most people who move do it themselves, sure. right? Uh, more than half. Um, here's a, here's an interesting thing I didn't know. It's about a time, the best time to move. 45% of all moves occur between Memorial Day and Labor Day. I didn't know that. I did not either. Hmm. I typically, just for some bad luck, end up moving in summer, which for those of you who have ever been to the south of the U.S., going outside and doing anything during summer is uh, usually just a, a foolish idea. I'll be honest. I don't even like walking to my car from my front door. It's not. It's a difficult walk. And it, you open the door and it's like you're, you're getting slapped in the face with a, a rubber blanket. Yeah, it's crazy. And the humidity, I mean, mm-hmm. it's just unbelievable. So moving at that time of year is nearly impossible. But you're saying that's when that's most when of the it ends up for me. Yeah. yeah. I just, I rolled the dice and I got bad moves. Oh man. Yeah. That's, that is bad news. But, yeah. uh, but all that to be said, I just wanted to get some of that out there. Scott, do you think we should talk a little bit more about U-Haul as a company before we go into the, uh, into the juicy stuff? Yeah, I think we definitely should because there's a, there's definitely some juicy stuff coming up. Mm-hmm. But uh, but let's talk just a, just a moment about some of the stuff they offer because I was looking at the site mm-hmm. and I was actually kind of impressed by what they offer. I, I mean, I had I had a very narrow view of what they um what they had, and I know that they do the trailer hitches. You know, they install a lot of trailer hitches because I always see a lineup of people uh, at those locations waiting for uh you know whether it's putting a, a hitch on a minivan uh-huh. or even a, like some small cars I've seen there. Uh, but it's usually trucks, you know, smaller trucks that people are, are trying to, uh, you know, throw a, a hitch on so they can tow the boat to the lake or whatever, sure. right? Or a U-Haul trailer, of course, because they're going to haul it across the country. Um, another thing that makes sense is they have their own storage units, like their self-storage areas, mm-hmm. which kind of, I, I understand that. I mean, that you know, the, um, it can offer like a, almost like as a package deal. You know, you can, yeah. you can move it to there and you can use one of our trucks to haul it to wherever you have to go, et cetera. I get it. Um, moving supplies, we all know that. I mean, they have all the packing supplies and covers and, and tape and boxes and all that mm-hmm. stuff. I mean, that's not, that's not a big surprise. No. Um, here's, there's about three here that I'm, I was actually kind of surprised by though. Um, they have something that is a, akin to the, and I can't, you can't really call it this and I'll tell you why, but it's sort of like the pods idea and it's actually called the U-Box moving containers. And hmm. there's a reason you can't call it that because I think there was a lawsuit from the pods company because <laughs> uh, they compared them to pods when I think you have to look up the details of the uh, the lawsuit. But um, do not call them pods, but they're but they're like pods again called the U-Box moving container. Same idea, really. Um, propane. I didn't know that they sold propane. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. And I, I don't know why I hadn't thought about this, but I, uh, you know, you can drive in and have yours refilled. They also, um, you know, sell the uh, the tanks and everything. And if you've got an RV and mm-hmm. you have to fill it up before you go across, you know, out to uh, Perfect. Yellowstone or wherever sure. you're going to go, um, get it filled up there. That's another thing. And this is maybe the most surprising to me. And we'll move on after this one. I mean, we could talk about truck sizes and stuff because that's important, too. Yes. Um, moving labor. They offer moving labor now. And this is an interesting idea. That is and interesting. I'll, and I'll, I'll tell you why. Because 
U-Haul traditionally has been about the, and it's, it's right there in the name, U-Haul. Yeah. You haul it yourself, you pack it yourself, you know, you, whether that involves having some friends come over and you buy them a pizza and some beer and you, yeah. uh, you make a day of it or a weekend of it. Um, that's what most people do. Now they offer their own service. You can, you can rent moving labor along with it. So, so if you don't have, uh, you know, five friends that are willing to help you move that giant, uh, you know, um, <laughs> <laughs> China cabinet or whatever right. it is that, you know, is a backbreaker. Uh, you can, you can have these people help you out and you still get the benefit of renting a lower cost truck uh-huh. and all the equipment that you have to get. You, you're in charge of like all the blankets and all that stuff, but you can get somebody to help you load, unload, even packing and unpacking if you want to. And I think that's pretty, um, it's pretty remarkable that they've gone to that because it's like it's one step away from being a full service move, but you're still getting the discount on the truck. Right. Yeah. And also, uh, I will say another thing that's interesting and it might not occur to some people. It didn't occur to me until we started looking into this episode. Uh, U-Haul can also use its customer data or data to make uh, predictions that are pretty accurate. Really? Yeah. Like what is the fastest growing city? Uh, U-Haul ha- is one of the groups that will have a, a very good knowledge of that. So that's pretty smart. Yeah. It'd be a great place to go to get that kind of information. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other. As Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infinity QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Okay, quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. Obvious. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform with one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. And you're improving efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Head to NetSuite.com stereo right now. NetSuite.com stereo. NetSuite.com stereo. Hi, it's Gabby Reese, and this podcast is powered by Laird Superfood, a brand that's truly close to my heart because it was founded in my kitchen by my husband, big wave surfer Laird Hamilton. Today, Laird Superfood boasts an amazing lineup of products, all crafted with the highest quality plant-based ingredients. Think functional mushrooms, real fruits and veggies. What makes us unique? 
We're committed to using only real ingredients, no artificial and no natural flavors. Two of my absolute favorites are prebiotic daily greens, really great tasting, and we've added some mushrooms to support your gut even a little more. Then there's our instant latte lineup. We've got instant mocha, instant latte, chai. If you want to discover Laird Superfood, you can do it at your local retailer on Amazon or at LairdSuperfood.com. And if you put in the code GABBY2024 on our website, you'll get an exclusive 20% off your first purchase. Where's the brain drain, you know, mm -hmm. uh, and what what is the most popular maybe neighborhood to move into? Things like that. They can do stuff by zip code. I, it's all valuable info. I see press releases about this stuff like... Um, in April 2014, about a year ago, uh, U-Haul ranked Dallas as the top growth city in the U.S. Mm -hmm. So that's probably, I, I don't know if that still holds true well, now. Well, I don't know, because I mean, I think prior to that, wasn't it Las Vegas? I think it, Las Vegas was spreading or it was growing at such an incredible rate. And I don't know if the numbers come from U-Haul or where they come from, really. But right. Probably a, a you know conglomerate of, of all this information. Mm -hmm. Uh, but I know that they were gaining, like they, they had a number too. It was like, we're, we're gaining 1200 people a day or something wow. crazy like that. It was a lot of people moving there. And now Dallas is the newest one, apparently. Yeah. Or at oh, least well, at the time it was of that in 2013. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I don't know if they're, I don't know if they're selling this data to different places, but there is a predictive power just because again, so many people in the States at least use U-Haul. Yeah, that's right. And, and it's not going to change anytime oh, soon. Oh no, no, no. And, and you know, they, they've branched or they've moved from doing just, uh, just trailers now too. Right. Right. So of course we all know that they have the U-Haul trucks, the rental trucks, and I they mean, range in yeah. size from pickup trucks to a 26 foot truck that you can rent a box truck, um, everything in between. And, uh, they've got a lot of cool features in them, you know, things that, um, make it easy for just about anybody to just jump in this truck and, and use it, really. I mean, automatic transmissions, they all use gasoline power. They're not diesel or anything like that. Yeah, but there's um, still trucks, which we should talk about at some point. Yeah, we, we really <laughs> should. I, you know what? I'm going to save, let's save that for the end because I've got a, I've got a question that I think maybe a lot of people have okay. about these types of services that rent these trucks. And I think that, I think that everybody can kind of relate to this in one way or another. Either mm -hmm. you've used the service or you've just witnessed some of this stuff going on. Yeah. Um, there are different sizes of trucks. Yeah, and yeah, all the different sizes. Yeah. Um, okay, so two more quick things, and then we'll okay. go back to uh, – how about then we get to uh, you know, some other stuff. Ah, okay. Um, a lot of people don't know that they sell their used trucks and used equipment. So sometimes you can find um, um, everything from uh, you know some of the smaller equipment that they rent, like uh, like parts washers and things like that. I know I've seen. Um, but old used trucks you can you can buy. Um, you know, they're, they're reconditioned in some way. They're, you know, they're, they're well-maintained. They say, I don't know. You know, here's the thing about this. What's that? I feel kind of the same way about renting a, or buying rather a used U-Haul truck as I would about buying a rental car. Um, I don't know. They, a lot of them have yeah. been put through some pretty rough miles and mm -hmm. you know, they're not treated as, as if somebody had bought it new and, and needed to keep it alive and, and running for 10 right. years. They don't get the same, uh, investment of TLC. Yeah. I mean, my, I guess my thought, my, thought or my comment on this is that used trucks for sale at a U-Haul lot, sure you could, but would you? Or should you? Or should you? Maybe that's a better way to say it. And then the last thing, and then we'll get on to some of the better stuff, I promise. But, um, this is good stuff. They have a U-Haul car share service now. And I, I had no idea until we started looking like into this. similar to Zipcar, huh? It is a subsidiary of U-Haul, and it's similar to that, you're right, but it's a completely separate thing. It's It's got its own website, it's got its own uh, information. You can look up that info if you want, see if it's in your city. 
I believe it's not in Atlanta right now because I did try to look up Atlanta, Georgia to see where a U-Haul car share location was, but mm. I had no idea that they were doing car sharing. And it's, hmm. a, it's a pretty radical idea for a company like this because it's, I understand it's a vehicle rental, but it's not in the same realm of uh, moving cargo or moving things, moving houses, people. Right, yeah. Well, okay, it is moving people, <laughs> uh, but that's it. But it, it's, it makes sense because so many different businesses are trying to get into that space mm-hmm. or whether they're branching out or whether uh, they're an entirely new thing. The idea of, now I'm not going to go on a rant about my problems with shifting from an ownership society to a service society, mm-hmm. but I think it's good to own the things you buy. Um, before I, I go, yeah, before I go any further, you guys, listeners, I'm sure Scott is tired of hearing me go off on these rants. So I'll, uh, I'll save the time. But if you would like to hear more about my problems with ownership versus service societies, feel free to send us an email. I will answer it. <laughs> um, be ready. Yeah. yeah be, ready. be ready for the response. Oh gosh. Yeah. But, um, we are moving on. And moving back, rather, to some of the stuff we alluded to earlier, as we said, all was not well in the Schoen family. Uh, and now, as we like to say on uh, some of our other shows, here's where it gets crazy. Yeah, this is the uh, the twist in the story, I would guess, right, Ben? Because mm-hmm. um, this is the twist that I didn't expect it to take. I mean, it really, you would think, you'd look at a company like that and you wouldn't realize how... I guess maybe the instability that's going on within the walls of the uh, the headquarters, right? Um, and it's all really it's all family driven stuff. I mean, it, yeah. this is crazy, Ben. I mean, okay, so where do we even start on this? I mean, well, let's let's start just to make sure everybody knows the family. Okay, um, we you heard us say that over the course of his life, Leonard Schoen had been married five times. Yeah, his his first wife they they didn't divorce. Uh, tragically, she passed away of a congenital heart defect, mm-hmm. and eventually he remarried, and that is um, his second wife is the one he had, what, five kids with? He did. Uh, yes. Okay. Uh, so by this point, just by his second wife, they're, they've got 11 children. Yeah, that is, that is very stressful, I would think. And the, and the eldest of those children are, of course, from the first wife, and he is grooming some for the business. They're all involved somehow in the business. Sure. However, that oldest son, mm-hmm. I bet he, I'm sure that, that, uh, that Leonard was grooming Sam, the oldest mm-hmm. son to, uh, to take over the business at some point, you know, not then, but yeah. just, uh, but just really giving him, showing him the ways, give him the keys to the kingdom eventually. Yeah. Right? And that means that the younger sons, mm-hmm. and, and there's a few daughters mixed in there too. I right. Um, the younger sons and daughters were all seeing what's going on and they're getting a little bit jealous, you know, because, well, here's the, the he's going to be the head of this amazing industry, this billion right. dollar industry. Um, so there's, there's that family jealousy that goes on, even though they all, they all likely have a part in this whole thing. I mean, they're going to sure. play a role. It's just, they wanted to be the top. So here, yeah, right. It goes back to the idea of comparative happiness, mm-hmm. uh, very interesting psychological thing, short tangent, but it, if it's okay with you, I'm going to chase the rabbit hole for a of, second. Of course, go. All right. So there's an interesting thing that happens about how people define happiness. It's not so much in absolute terms of what you have as it is in relative terms of what you have in comparison to other people, mm-hmm. which is the reason why someone who, if we're talking about income, let's say someone makes um, 
$15,000 and everyone they work with, everyone else makes $12,000, then they're going to be happier than someone who makes $156,000 in a place where everybody else makes 157. It's not, it's not an absolute term thing. So in this case, we can see, we can see in a way, and I don't, I haven't talked to the Schoen family. I don't have evidence of this, but I can see in a way how it would really grind your gears. Even if you're already one of the top people at a gigantic family owned company, I can see how you would still be livid that there would be someone else above you. Yeah, so you want to be the big fish in the small pond. You want to be able to make the decisions. Yeah, you want to be the one, the one that they go to all the time. And I understand that. I get it. Yeah, and this it. this came to a head, uh, as we said, in nineteen in the well in the nineteen eighties, uh, Leonard Schoen started giving his stock to his children. He gave away all but what Scott two percent maybe. Yeah, two percent. He kept two percent, and uh, several of his kids. Now, you'll hear in different stories, people will just say it was only Joseph and Mark shown, Joe and Mark shown, but uh, they kind of led a rebellion, you know. They uh, kicked their dad out as the president and chairman. They took away his retirement benefits. Oh, my gosh. Which to me means it had to be personal. Yeah, it's personal. It's that's not, definitely personal. That's a, uh, that's a, that's a, uh, uh, what do they call that? Uh, uh, Crime of passion, almost. Not, not yeah. really that. I don't know if you can call it that. That's more violence, really. Well, it sounds like there's something vindictive. But, yeah, and I, I, I know that that's usually when something violent happens. It's, it's overkill, I guess. But, but the uh, the idea was that they didn't need to do that. They went that extra step, extra step to do that intentionally yeah. to cause harm to their father. And that's uh, that's that's terrible. It's tragic. I mean, this whole thing, this I mean, this what you're talking about, Ben. That this sparks a um a family feud, a shown family feud for sure, happens. and. I mean, it's it's got all the elements here that that you would want in a true crime story, really, because yes. because there there's violence and even murder at some point, as we're going to get to. And so the the thing is, and I've re- I read this somewhere. I'm going to read this out of this article. It's called "U-Haul Tragedy" by Tom Fitzpatrick. Oh yeah, yeah. And it's an article that was written in 1994, so a long time ago. We're talking 20 21 years ago at this point. Um, I'll quote from this. He says the Schoen family feud is complex and twisted. There is so much intrafamily violence, it could be the basis of a Eugene O'Neill tragedy. <laughs> um, true. Scattered throughout the family history are totally bizarre acts, threats of violence, and a couple of brutal beatings that Schoen's sons administered to each other in full view of their father. And finally, there was the murder of the old man's favorite daughter-in-law. So guess who was murdered? Do you know? Who was murdered? Sam Schoen's wife. Mm-hmm. So the the his favorite daughter-in-law, you know, according to this article, you know, Sam, I'm sorry, Leonard's favorite daughter-in-law was the was the wife of Sam Schoen, which is his oldest son, the one he was grooming for the business. So there's this this intentional strike at this woman. Now, here's the thing. He he has proposed or he he at the time said, mm-hmm. "I know who did this. It's it's a it's a um it's a murder for hire hire scenario." By my sons, by um, what's one of the names? Tom and uh, Joe, oh, or I'm Joe sorry, yeah. and Mark. Joe and Mark shown. He says, "I know, I know who it is," and he he's outright saying this out to the to the media, to the public, um, that you know he thinks his sons are involved in this in this murder somehow. Um, so you know this has got to be just shaking to the core for um, you know uh, Sam. You know like yeah. he's got to be thinking like, well, Jesus, this is a hit that's put on my wife. Uh, they're coming for me next, and uh, this all happened. Um, this all happened in Telluride, Colorado, back in 1990, I believe. So it's four years, 
prior to this article being written. Um, and just so that we get this all straight right now, because, yeah. you know, once we say this, we got to kind of wrap it up. Um, in 1994, um, right as this article is being written, I believe that the uh, the case was kind of uh, put to rest and that um, in Montrose, Colorado, an ex-con by the name of Frank Marquise uh, admitted that he fatally shot Miss Eva Schoen, uh, who is the wife of Sam Schoen, of course, the oldest son. Um, and it was not any kind of murder for hire thing. It was uh, he just did this on his own. It was his own uh-huh. act and that uh, the Schoen brothers were not involved in any way. But the Schoen brothers then, um, you know, their father has called them out for this thing. They said they said. You know, he said specifically, I think they were involved in some way. You need to investigate this. He's pointing investigators to try to get them to look into it. Yeah. And that becomes a problem for them. Uh, you know, they're now at the top of the the business, of course. Right. But it becomes a problem for them because here they are, these heads of this uh, this business, and they're being investigated for, for murder, murder for hire, rather. And I don't know what you would call this exactly, but... Um, it's it's damning to them in the press and the in the news and it's, as far as the way it affects the company and their their bottom line. Right. Uh, we we want to be careful with how we talk about this because what we are looking at is just completely publicly available information. Sure, this is one of those iceberg stories. That's what I like to call them. Yeah. Because there's a bunch of stuff under the surface that we don't know. People are beating each other in front of their dad. Yeah, and, and uh, in front of like other shareholders at the right. you know they're they're beating these two brothers are getting in fistfights you know physical fistfights at these corporate meetings and you know in front of their father and it's just it's not a good scenario the the whole company is imploding really at this point yeah because of all this turmoil that's going on in the family and and last thing on this really that I need to point out is that there's another little angle to this and I wonder I wonder if anybody has thought about this much, but the guy that confessed, he's an ex-con named Frank Marquis. I mean, it, did he, did he accept a payoff to say that he did it? I mean, right. there's always that angle too. I mean, that's the kind of twist that you'll hear in a true crime book. Yeah. So I wonder, I, I'm not saying that that happened in this case in any way, but I, I wonder looking back, did he, did he, um, um, implicate himself into this when, uh, when he really wasn't involved? In well, it? that's, that's a great question. That's happened before. I, I just want to, um, clarify some of the stuff we talked about because you can find there's an LA times interview with, um, Joe, Joe shown Joseph shown. Uh, and in this, in this account, Leonard resigned. He wasn't tossed out, mm. uh, uh, but yeah, interesting is, is a word. Um, so then the family begins suing and counter suing, right? Uh, and, Eventually, I think it's because of the series of countersuits that the health and retirement benefits are uh, canceled. And he also blocked other family members who weren't on his side of the war yeah. from cashing out. Yep. Uh, eventually, they um, eventually the father and several of the kids who were loyal to him uh, successfully arranged a countersuit, right? Yes, that's right. And in 1994, when this article was being written, this uh, this U-Haul tragedy article, a recent court verdict uh, was awarded to to Leonard and uh, what his family is his, uh, I guess the remaining loyal sons and right. daughters, uh, sons and daughters, um, a 1.4 billion dollar judgment against his two sons and the company against U-Haul. Yeah. So that's a huge settlement. But I wonder how much of that really actually went back and forth. How much was given to? Leonard and his family. Oh, well, we have the number on that, right? We do. Yeah, because it was later reduced uh, to about $460 million with punitive damages of $7 million. Wait a minute. So they knocked 
one billion dollars off of this judgment? Pretty this, much this verdict. Holy cow, that's a huge cut in that. But anyway, still, it's a lot of money. Okay, so so for the the Schoen family, for the remaining loyal children and, and Leonard, and his wife, I guess it would be Carol, right? The mm-hmm. one who's still surviving. Right. Um, four hundred eighty-six million dollars plus what was the other amount? Uh, seven million punitive damages. Okay. Not bad. Not bad. Well, we've got an update on that too. Oh, by the way, because okay. the, the legal battles continue. All right. Uh, and we've got a quotation from uh. Joe shown here where he said uh, the legal sparring continues on a lower level, but he's put the enmity behind him. He said, um, I'm quoting from L.A. Times here. He described his estranged siblings as people I once knew. We all have people like that. This company has made them hundred millionaires and they're out living lives of the rich and famous. Uh, and two of his brothers, Joe was the third kid. Two of his brothers stay with the same place or stay with the company I've got an update from 2012 um, where the Court of Appeals ruled that Sam was not uh, guilty of libel. I was going to say libel for libel. Yeah, you know, that's the thing is that, you know, when all this was happening, too, back in 94, the, that libel suit was still pending against against um, uh, Mr. Schoen, against yes. Leonard, uh, because, of course, he had intimated that his sons, you know, Mark and Joe, were responsible for the crime, for the murder. Right. And, uh, and you can't do that. You can't just come right out and say that. And that's what I was trying to get at before. But libel is, I guess, the term, the, the legal term. Well, also, Sam Sam uh, said that he was getting set up because one of the brothers, Mark Schoen, had U-Haul investigate the murder in a way that was supposed to stitch Sam Schoen to it. No kidding. Like assuming assuming that Sam well, Schoen was the killer. You know what? That's the thing is I bet, uh, of course, we know how this works out. Usually they go to the spouse. Media. Yeah. That's the first suspect in all these cases where, makes where one spouse is murdered. So, yeah, it does make sense. And they then tried to, well, they, 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 again, they intimated that that might be what's going on, that they were trying to implicate him. Right. Yeah. That. Yeah. I can, I can see how all this, this is all very, very dirty. Yeah. You can see exactly Start what's going on. I mean, so. uh, it, it did, you know, of course, it's, it's extremely possible that, you know, Frank Marquis actually did fatally shoot, you know, Eva Schoen. Yeah. Um, and that he, you know, but, did he act alone? Was he being, was he, was he hired by somebody? And then later did he take money to, uh, you know, to confess to that, you know, even though it was, uh, you know, years later, a decade later, whatever it was, it was yeah. a long time. And this is not the court saying they believe that members of the Schoen family were involved in the murder. It's not that at all. It's just that the definition of libel is something like, Saying a thing you know to be untrue to discredit a person. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And he, apparently he was able to prove to the court that he did not know this to be untrue. And uh, I guess you could describe Leonard as being kind of a broken man at this point. I mean, he's uh, he's he, sure he's got a lot of money, but um, he's troubled. He's and, in his eighties. Yeah, his family is ruined. Yeah, from from you know from the mid nineteen eighties. His family has fallen apart. He really doesn't, and you know, it's valuable. That's valuable to him. Obviously, he loves big family. You know, that's uh, that's something that he enjoys, um, along with his business, of course. And that's gone uh, right. because the sons took it over. So he's he's got the money left over, but he doesn't really have the happiness that he once had. Um, so he, uh, this is terrible, Ben. In 1999, October of 1999, uh, Leonard Schoen committed suicide by car. He uh, he crashed his own car. And they uh, they deemed it a suicide. I think it was in Las Vegas, Nevada. He was 83 years old at the time. Yeah. Um. But man, what a tragic end to uh, to this empire for for this guy. Now the empire, of course, carries on with these sons, but these are the ones that overtook the company from the father. And this is the the you know the whole start of this 
this uh, this tragic downfall of the uh, the patriarch. Yeah, and uh, Leonard himself was eighty three at the time mm-hmm. of his passing. Uh, this remains a strange and ongoing story. Now, again, I think we've been pretty. I well, we're doing a just the facts thing. I'm not speculating on any of this. Just saying what. The courts have said and what the various family members have said, but it is quite possible that we will not know the full story, really. Yeah, that's possible. But uh, this is this is the thing that we did not expect to discover when we were covering U-Haul. But there is more to come, right? Yeah, and it's not all good news either. I mean, there's some <laughs> there's some safety issues that we'd like to talk uh-huh. about. There's also, um, I, I guess the uh, the current state of things, and and I want to. Uh, I want to talk a little bit of. I have a question for you at the end of this, as I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast. But we've got something that we uh, we'd like to do first, right? Yeah, it's time for a word from our sponsor. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury, with a reveal unlike any other, as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Okay, quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. Obvious. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform with one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. And you're improving efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Head to NetSuite.com stereo right now. NetSuite.com stereo. NetSuite.com stereo. Hi, it's Gabby Reese, and this podcast is powered by Laird Superfood, a brand that's truly close to my heart because it was founded in my kitchen by my husband, big wave surfer Laird Hamilton. Today, Laird Superfood boasts an amazing lineup of products, all crafted with the highest quality plant-based ingredients. Think functional mushrooms, real fruits and veggies. What makes us unique? We're committed to using only real ingredients, no artificial and no natural flavors. Two of my absolute favorites are prebiotic daily greens, really great tasting, and we've added some mushrooms to support your gut even a little more. Then there's our instant latte lineup. We've got instant mocha, instant latte, chai. If you want to discover Laird Superfood, you can do it at your local retailer on Amazon or at lairdsuperfood.com. 
And if you put in the code GABBY2024 on our website, you'll get an exclusive 20% off your first purchase. All right, so we're back. And, you know, as promised, we're going to get into uh, some of the safety issues and where things stand right now and maybe my question, too. But a couple of little things that I, I found along the way that I thought were kind of interesting that I think we should talk about also. And we didn't even talk about this off air or anything. So I'm kind of hitting the, hitting you with this. But did you know that all U-Haul trucks have Arizona license plates? Uh, the ones that they do not expire. They, they never expire. These Arizona plates on U-Haul trucks. And it's not every single one. There's a couple of uh, there's a couple of exceptions. Newer trailers in the U-Haul fleet that have apportioned plates that are registered in other states, and then Alaska and Hawaii markets, which um, you know they also have their own registration systems. But outside of those, you know, the few exceptions, all of the other trucks have Arizona plates. I've never noticed that, but you can believe that I'm going to look for that today on the road as I drive home. Yeah, that's fascinating. Well, I, I didn't know that. I thought it was. And then the other thing that I didn't know, and this uh, this will maybe not surprise any Ford Explorer owners. Um, this is, uh, let's see, this is a ban on Ford Explorers uh, that goes back, uh, boy, it goes back to 2003, mm-hmm. um, where they said that uh, because of, you know, all the, the problems that were going on with uh, with Ford, uh, the Ford Explorer and the Firestone tires, the issue, the rollovers. Yeah. Um, they claim, and I'll, I'll read this so it all makes sense, but um, they claim it wasn't really involved. It's just, it just happened to be under the same, same time frame. But if you had a Ford Explorer that was uh, model year 2010 or older, you were unable to rent a U-Haul trailer to tow behind that vehicle. They wouldn't rent to you. Why? Uh, because they said that according to U-Haul, U-Haul has chosen not to rent behind this tow vehicle based on our history of excessive costs in defending lawsuits involving Ford Explorer towing combinations. Huh. Uh, this policy does not involve safety issues. This is an unusual circumstance for U-Haul. So I think they're tying it into the, uh, you know, the whole rollover Firestone tire thing that was going on back in, um, oh, the mid two thousands, I think. Yeah, was, right? yeah, yeah. I remember and that. Um, as of mid twenty thirteen, however, U-Haul will rent trailers to Ford Explorers that are two thousand eleven model year or newer. So the Explorer line is still around. You can still get uh, a U-Haul trailer if you have a vehicle that is uh, newer than two thousand eleven. And here's here's another little interesting bit on this thing. I I thought. What's um, that? Okay, so the, the, the Ford rollover controversy, I mean, that was a big deal. I mean, it really was. There oh, were, yeah. There were like 240 deaths. There were 3,000 catastrophic injuries as a result of the uh, the rollover situation. And Ford eventually decided to replace, I think it was, I've, I'm just drawing from my memory here, I think it was 13 million Firestone tires that they replaced on Ford Explorer trucks um, after that after that wow. lawsuit had happened. So um, big deal there. And here's the thing. U-Haul did not alter the policy of renting to owners of, of similar vehicles like the Mercury Mountaineer, the Mazda Navajo, and then early versions of the Lincoln Aviator, mm-hmm. all which were mechanically identical to the Explorer. They they simply singled out the Explorer and that's I find that unusual. They didn't they would still rent to the other uh other makes, I guess yeah. within the Ford umbrella of companies of, well, of brands i guess it must have just been a calculation of how often this particular or an individual make of a car shows up right i, I guess so and you know the thing is that they said regardless of the tire brand that's attached to this vehicle um the idea that we're not going to rent to these people comes from many accidents involving bridgestone or firestone tires and i'd like to add this because i read it somewhere on a maybe as a u-haul site or something and uh, they had reports that the rear bumper would would separate from the vehicle, taking the tow hook assembly with it. That would be troublesome, I would guess, for somebody right. who's renting a trailer to you. 
But at the same, like while we're talking about it, uh, safety, this is interesting because at the around the same time, the two thousands, mm-hmm. uh, the Toronto Star mm-hmm. and uh, the Ministry of Transportation in Canada both had these publications about safety issues with U-Haul. Yeah, uh, they had well, an investigative report, right? Yeah. yeah, and they said that the uh, that of the two hundred ninety six U-Haul vehicles they investigated. Um, or inspected rather, uh, about 19, a little bit less than 20% were found to have out of fat, out of service defects, meaning that they weren't usable on the road. They're not roadworthy. Yeah. That's what they were saying. Oh my gosh. That's a, that's a huge number. Now, um, I know that a lot of these trucks failed, um, individual tests as well, as far as like, you know, um, they would have things like uh, brakes that were far too worn down. Right. Uh, they would have, um, maybe mechanical components that weren't completely, uh, you know, buttoned up the way that they should be transmission issues yeah transmission issues things like that so there were some serious safety problems and and digging into this i started to um i started to read some of these articles and there's no way we can cover them today because they're they're very lengthy um as as you would expect them to be right uh there's some articles that this this article points to and says um you know back to going back to about 2000 2006 2007 um there's a couple of articles i'd like to point you to it's called the one's called driving with rented risks and then there's upkeep lags in U-Haul's aging fleet. And then, oh, here's an interesting one. Key trial evidence goes missing. And I I, I will tell you what that one is about because that sounds really intriguing. Right. Only briefly, though. Um, it was something to do with a defective tire and rim uh, from a trailer that was involved in an accident and then involved in a court case. And I believe that U-Haul reconditioned the tire and, and rim and put it back on a, on a vehicle or or held it and and fixed it in some way. So that was kind of the uh, the angle of that. Now, did they or did they not do that? I, I can't say. I mean, eh. you have to read the, the court transcripts and find out exactly what happened in that right. trial to, to really get the understanding. But here's my here's my thing with this maintenance issue. Okay. It's it's um it's not excusable ever, really. I mean if you're gonna have a company that that rents products like this, it's not excusable to have unsafe materials out on the road, unsafe uh, things for people to rent because they don't know. They're just there Absolutely. for, they're on Saturday to pick it up. They're going to return it Saturday night or Sunday. Yeah. Uh, they don't know. It's, it's, it is, however, and, and I want to be careful about this. It's understandable when you look at the size and the scope of, of U-Haul as a company that some things slip through the cracks like this. Now it should never happen. There should be systems in place. I get that. Sure. But when I, I think I read something that said, Okay, well, this this one vehicle that was involved in this uh, this one accident, and they were going to investigate. He said the guy that that was in charge of that that particular unit, or tracking that unit, or whatever, had said, "Well, since that time, we've rented that one trailer 19 times, and this is like you know not even a month later, right? Um, so it's like a daily rental thing. So it is difficult for them to schedule that, but I I do think that um, you know trucks, trailers. Um, all the stuff, all the equipment that they ran, all that. I mean, there should be a regular maintenance routine. Right, yeah. Uh, I, I, but who's in charge of making sure that happens? Yeah, and I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, man, but I've got to talk about this one thing. You can go to a website called uhaulsafetyalert.org, mm-hmm. uh, and that that points to some disturbing observations slash allegations. They say that, um, they say that U-Haul doesn't automatically retire vehicles after a certain threshold of age or mileage. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that means you could get, you know, you could get something that's 200 K plus on it. So you jump in on a weekend and you're going to head down through the mountains or something and you right. realize that the truck has 200,000 miles on it. Maybe they, but you wouldn't know this. So you would, or you would know the mileage, but you wouldn't know the last time the brakes were serviced. 
Right. You it, would know yeah. how many miles that transmission has on it. When you're when you're climbing a mountain with everything that you own in the back of the truck, um, you know, it could be a difficult climb. You know, it gets pretty steep in some sure, places. Sure, the grade. Yeah, yeah, exactly right. I mean, is it going to hold up? Is it going to work? Well, the, the, here's another question, though, because I do have to I do have to say um, in their defense, it may just be part part of the reason that they seem like they that they have these continual battles with the safety stuff uh, may be down to the franchisees and what their responsibility is. I can't really speak too much about it, but I think we should be hesitant to paint in broad brush strokes like the the Schoen family. Oh. I mean, ultimately, it is their company, so ultimately, it does go down to them. Absolutely, and I feel that way. And I, I again, I want to stress this that I that I want to say it's not excusable, but I understand how it happens. I understand that you know things slip through like that. I mean. Or the franchisees aren't keeping up with their end of the bargain that they were right. supposed to do that. Or someone misreads the number on a trailer, and then that one should have had the trailer brakes inspected, but it didn't. It went out, and uh, we'll catch the next one that comes mm-hmm. in. But maybe maybe there's another system. Maybe they put out an alert to where that, that trailer is going to that it does get service next time, even if it wasn't scheduled there to get the service. Yeah. That, you know, th- there's got to be a check and balance on this thing that, you know, and, and I'm sure that there's something like that there. Mm-hmm. Maybe they're just not using it correctly. and. This, again, not to paint a bad picture of this whole company, right. because I've rented U-Haul vehicles before. I've rented uh, rider trucks before. I've rented Penske trucks before and, and you know, trailers and uh, car haulers and things like that. And uh, honestly, I've never had a problem with any of the equipment. Yeah, there's, uh, you know, there's another thing that I should point out. In my personal life, every time I have moved in this country, I have used a U-Haul truck at some point. Really? Yeah. Every time? Every time, I, even if it's just one of the, you know the smaller ones, yeah. But it's been always been a truck. I never hooked the trailer up. Um, oh, okay. So box truck. Yeah, just a box truck okay. with the uh, with the little mom's attic section above uh-huh. the cab there, yeah. and uh, the super graphics on the side. We didn't we didn't even talk about super graphics, which is uh, you know, it's kind of a fluffy thing to talk yeah. about, but it's interesting. But I, I think unfortunately, I think we're we're running a little low on time yeah. here, Mister B. So how about one more thing. Yes, and this is just maybe just put it out there to everybody. But uh, here's my one more thing. One more thing. All right, so here's the big question that I want to ask you and I want to ask the listeners. All right. All right, so sure, it's it's legal and everything to, to rent a 26-foot truck, which, by the way, is just the size of the of the box on the back. Mm-hmm. Then there's the, I don't know, what what do you say, 10 feet of cab maybe on the front of that? That's fair. That's 36 feet. Sure. Then you've got a, uh, a tow hitch on the back of that, and then you can rent a trailer that can haul your car on the back of that. So what's that length? Maybe 15 feet? Mm-hmm. So you got 26 plus 10, that's 36 plus 15. What's that total? It's uh, 51 feet. Is that right? It's a lot of trucks. I think it's 51 feet. Um, maybe even a little bit longer because you got the tongue on the trailer. So let's just, let's ballpark this. Okay. 60 feet. You're suddenly driving a 60 foot truck when you don't have a CDL license or anything like that. The, I mean, the 26 foot truck is a lot, you're allowed to use that with just a regular operator's license. Or po- I, possibly no experience okay. driving these and, whatsoever. And I know this because that's how I moved here to Georgia. I had a 26 foot box Whoa. truck and a trailer that held, that hauled my Honda on it. You know, my nice Civic SI. Yeah, you had the Civic. At yeah. The and it had this giant trailer on the back end. And there I am. I got to drive from Michigan to Atlanta. And I, I don't really have an experience driving a 60 foot truck with a trailer. I mean, if I had to back that thing up, I was in, I was in huge trouble. So. Right. Stops for me became so problematic along the way. Like when I was looking for a gas station, I would, I was sweating, thinking I've got to find somewhere I can pull through 
that, you know, I, even if I exit and I don't see something, I've got to find a way to somehow snake my way around that I don't have to back this thing out of here because I just right. don't, I can't do it. Um, I'm not experienced with it. Other people can do it with ease. Uh, but it's a huge, huge vehicle. It's a big undertaking when it's something you've never done before and you're dealing with all kinds of things like trailer brakes. You're dealing with, sure. um, you know, a speed limited vehicle. You're dealing with a vehicle that who knows how much that thing weighed when I had it fully weighted with everything from my house to yeah. my car. And if it's not loaded right, I'm, I'm sure you loaded, you loaded it correctly, but uh, yeah. if well, the load is distribute, if the load is unevenly distributed, it can be very dangerous. Yeah, and I'm driving through the mountains and, and you know, it's nighttime and I'm driving through the mountains and it, it wasn't raining or anything like that or Thank snowing, goodness. but what if it was snowing and I did yeah. that? And you know, here's the thing. It's like, okay, so it's legal. But is this a good idea? Is it a good idea to, to really rent 60 feet of vehicle with a trailer to somebody who's unaccustomed to doing that? I mean, they may ask you when you do it, have you ever, have you ever driven something like this? And they may tell you that you're not supposed to back the trailer up, but let's be real. When you pull off, you know, into a gas station, there's a time, there are times when you're going to have to kind of, uh, you know, work that thing back and forth to get it right. in and out of the, uh, sure. out of the gas station. It, it's difficult. I and mean, it's, it's something that, um, I've thought about this many times when I see a, a rental truck like this, whether it's Penske, whether because mine was a Penske okay. that I rented on the way down. Uh, no problems at all, by the way. It was flawless, but um, it, as far as the equipment goes, um, I've got some, there were some stories that go along with this, you know, like where I was stuck, but um, I, I'll tell you about those some other day. But the thing is, like when you see a, a rental truck like that on the road, yeah, I tend to give those people a little more buffer zone now than I ever did in the past uh, prior to my move. Absolutely. Uh, because I know that half the time those people just are inexperienced. They don't really know what's what to expect out of that truck because they may have only been driving it for 30 minutes at that point. Right. And they're not they're not comfortable either. I know like something about driving, I think, makes can make us all pretty self-centered people. Yeah. You and I have talked about it before, how lucky we are that people don't walk the way they drive. Yeah. You know definitely. what I mean? Uh but the the thing that I give people wide berth for when I whenever I see one of those box trucks driving is I do assume they are probably moving, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I assume that they probably don't drive a truck that size that often because the number of people with a CDL versus the number of people renting U-Haul trucks is not near one-to-one. Yeah, I mean, you jump out of your Toyota Corolla and into that, it's right. a huge learning curve. So for me, it's it's almost, to me, it's almost a, a courtesy, and I know a lot of people don't believe in being courteous to others on the road, <laughs> so call me old-fashioned, but if I see if I see someone who is, like, clearly a college student, maybe just driving for the first time, or anyone, really, then what I'm trying to do is maintain a safe distance, more so because I know they're probably already very nervous. Um, if they're, if they're smart, they should be. Uh, and I have a story for you that answers this. Uh, wait, uh, perfect. Oh, okay. Well, yeah. so one day, oh, where was I living? I was living down east of town or something. And, uh, I was, I was getting on Interstate 20. And Scott, I was pissed because I was running late. I think it might have been for this podcast. I can't remember, but this is several years ago. Yeah. And, uh, I'm, I'm at this, I'm at this turn where just for anyone who hasn't been to Atlanta, a lot of Interstate 20 is just poorly designed. And, uh, there are some death trap moments there too. Uh, but this was just a bad, this was just a bad intersection to get from a surface street to the interstate. And I was, uh, I was behind. 
a U-Haul driver, and this was before I was considerate of these drivers. You know, it's just like you were just in my way. Yeah. Uh, I was behind this U-Haul driver, um, not not a very big truck, just a box, uh, and they were driving crazy. They were swerving. They were, um, you know, they were swerving. They were stopping at weird moments. Mm-hmm. Um, Unnecessary braking, that kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah, um, which now in retrospect says that driver was probably – just nervous. Yeah, probably. Uh, given the time of day. Mm-hmm. And, um, so me being a jerk at this point, I get over, um, I get over in the right lane, pass them, gun it, click back in the left lane, um, getting toward where we would turn to get on the interstate. And then I'm, I'm getting freaked out because this person did one of those things. Have you guys, have you ever been driving? And someone's going super slow, and so you go around them, and all of a sudden they find out where their accelerator is, <laughs> because this U-Haul driver must have resented me or something, yeah. and um, or maybe it was just stressed out. I don't know. I don't even remember seeing the guy's face because uh, as they were as we were driving, um, I took the turn, and they were going too fast, and they took the turn um, way harder, and they must not have had. Uh, the load distributed correctly because that thing, man, it just fell to the right. No kidding. Yeah, it, it just over. fell. It did. It just fell to its side. It didn't completely flip. It just fell and bounced. Really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's uh, that's unbelievable. Like, so, so pull somebody... over, call nine one one. You know, cops are out. The person is fine. Yeah. The dude, the dude is fine. Um, it's not injured, but uh, Boy, it makes you wonder if something else is going on there. I mean, it sounds like very erratic driving. I wonder. Yeah. I wonder. But, but it's just. But the point is that yeah. you, know, you just never know what the situation is, and the people are going to be stressed. The people are going to be um, because it's moving day, likely. Um, they're they're brand new to it, so they're inexperienced. So right. you, you combine that alone. I mean, it's just you have limited visibility compared to your car, which I know. You know, if you drive a pickup truck with a load in the back or something on the back, right. you're accustomed to using your mirrors more, but. Most people aren't. Most people are, you know, accustomed to turning their head to, to back up. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's just there's so many things about it that I feel like it's 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 rough on everybody else around that person <laughs> when they're on the road because right. you never know what what their situation is and and I'm, I'm really cautious about it now. I, I'm very very careful around any any of those rental trucks. Yeah, I just assume that they have no experience because I knew that I didn't. I mean, I I was able to after a while you get the hang of it, you get the feel of it, and you can. You do much better. You stay in your lane better. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know the right way to, uh, you know, to approach a turn and the speeds. And you all get that. in the zone. Yeah, you do. Well, let's end on a positive note. I will say one thing that is just astonishing and kind of beautiful that uh, to to live in a place where you can go to a gas station, get a truck, throw your stuff in it. And then just drive off into the sunset. Mm-hmm. That that's amazing. Never look back if you don't want to. Never look back if you don't want to. Uh, I mean, you have to you have to use the rear view at some point <laughs> at the side mirrors. But but that is that is a cool thing. And this may be the longest single episode that Car Stuff has ever done. And we hope you enjoyed it as much as we enjoyed making it because there we're guys. We didn't even get to everything. Yeah, that's right. So, so much fun with this. So Austin, I mean, you said there's not much to say about you, <laughs> but but honestly, like the the family story makes this so intriguing and so uh, so complex that yeah. uh, we just had to go on on a long. Uh, I guess is it a rant? I don't know if it's a rant. An exploration, it, a, yeah, an exploration of the family and the company. But um, the company itself is fascinating. The family 
also fascinating. Yeah. You combine the two together, it makes for a good story. And of course, we hope that there is a, um, we hope there's a, a beneficial resolution to this. Uh, U-Haul is something that a lot of people in the states have encountered. So let us know your U-Haul experiences. Did they ever give you a car that was unsafe to drive? Did you have a great experience? Did you ever used to work for U-Haul? What, how do you react when you see someone who clearly doesn't know how to drive a truck yeah. on the road? Especially because I bet, I bet our trucker friends, I bet you guys see this all the time. So find us on Facebook and Twitter. You guys know the drill by now. We're Car Stuff HSW. If you want to email those stories to us directly and take a page from Austin's book, uh, then we'd love to hear from you. Our address is Car Stuff at HowStuffWorks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. Let us know what you think. Send an email to podcast at howstuffworks.com. What's up, y'all? Janice Torres here. And I'm Austin Hankwitz. We're the hosts of Mind the Business, Small Business Success Stories, a podcast presented by iHeartRadio's Ruby Studios and Intuit QuickBooks. Join us as we speak with small business owners about the tools they use to turn their ideas into success. From finding that initial spark of entrepreneurship to organizing payments and invoices, we've got you covered. So follow and listen to Mind the Business, Small Business Success Stories on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Infinity Presents, a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from The Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Bring spring color inside this season with Bare Premium Plus paint, starting at just $28.98 a gallon at The Home Depot. Add a pop of blue to your kitchen with the bare exclusive color Arrowhead Lake or a splash of Amazon jungle to your living room. Bring a cool breeze to your bathroom with sea glass or accent your bedroom with sunrise-inspired colors like coral cloud and dark crimson. Let your creativity bloom this spring with bare premium plus paint starting at just $28.98 a gallon at The Home Depot. How doers get more done.